0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. What an incredible, incredible way to begin a service. What an incredible day to end Romans. What an incredible way for us to celebrate uh, Father's Day. Uh, If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 16. We finished the first half of this book last week, and we will cover uh, the last few words that Paul wrote uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not just to the church in Rome, but to the church in Midland as well. Um, It it Really, it's an incredible thing, and I hope that you've learned as much uh, and been encouraged in the gospel as much over these last many months uh, through Romans as I have. Uh, I hope that, uh, that you love Jesus more. I hope that you're more aware of really the depth of what he has done for us uh, and, in fact, who he is. I hope that you are a little bit more like him uh, than when we began this journey. I hope it's not just things that we learned but uh, truly truth that has impacted uh, our minds and our hearts Uh, changed our identities uh, and uh, progressing us in the very image of Jesus. Uh, The last chapter, I've got it really segmented into four things, uh, four different things that Paul talks about uh, when he's closing up his final words. And they are these four things. This is where we'll spend our few minutes this morning. He has a a final warning for Christians. He has a warning for Christians. He has a promise from God. Uh, He has a few final greetings. And then he has a very long sentence that echoes for eternity. So if you are ready for the last portion of the book of Romans, say Romans. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 16. We'll start in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up here on the screen for you as well. Paul says, closing up, one warning for Christians. Actually, it's a warning for Christians, two parts. He says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out. Uh, watch out, to be careful, to be aware, to keep your wits about you because there's some potential uh, things that he is going to mention that we need to be keenly aware of and, and, and looking out for so that we might recognize them and heed his warning. He says, I appeal to you saying, I urge, you, I need you to really listen to me almost like a a, a father on Father's Day would uh, bend down on a knee and maybe grab his children by the face gently and say, this is incredibly important. I need you to listen up. He says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for two kinds of people. He says, for those who cause division and those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons, they do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Uh, he gives two warnings for Christians in the end of his letter. Uh, probably he had had enough experience with Christians and churches to recognize these two uh, types of people that uh, tend to find churches and create problems, and he saw that they created problems, uh, not just for Christians, but for the advancement and for the movement of the gospel through churches and he saw that in two ways. He said, watch out for those who cause division and watch out for those who create obstacles. Um, you need to know this, that some people want to divide, and I would uh, say this very personally, um, that um, perhaps these types of people have done uh, maybe a, an effective job in this last year to, uh, to divide Christians. Uh, no doubt there is no shortage of uh, things and opportunities for Christians to be very divided on, um, but what happens when you serve the same Lord your under the same Word, you have the same Holy Spirit, uh, is that God will bring unity and you've heard this multiple times throughout the book of Romans that that Jesus is incredibly um, passionate about the unity of his church and the unity of Christians. So Paul says, be really careful uh, to to watch out for those people who are trying to cause divisions in the church, who are trying to to separate believers, who are trying to uh, isolate people and maybe pit them perhaps uh, against each other. Uh, and he says, sometimes it's 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 difficult to to find out who's Paul's talking about because he says. The <laughs> cat that they can be very eloquent and very flattering. They can be very, very uh, smooth with their words and even use some verses here and there, um, but they're not after exalting Christ. Um, They're often after exalting themselves, uh, maybe power in the church, maybe uh, trying to uh, make everyone in the church feel like uh, they have the secret answer, the secret sauce to Christianity. Uh, There's a variety of different ways, but they can speak very eloquently. They can flatter you, but at the end of the day, they're not after uh, the unity of the faith in the bond of Christ. He says to be careful. They're serving their own appetites, uh, not Jesus. Uh, and Paul is writing this to write the church in Rome that didn't have social media. that They really only were able to be uh, influenced by people that they had met or known or perhaps had a letter from. So, I think… If Paul was writing this in 2022, uh, he would perhaps spend a little bit more time on this because it's easy for us to maybe think through who's influencing us towards uh, disunity uh, in person. But you need to know there's a lot of people online that are trying to uh, be counter to the doctrines of the gospel to make uh, Christians be pitted against each other. And so Paul would say be very very careful who you listen to uh, because some people are not out to use the gospel to unify Christians they're out to cause divisions and that's dishonoring to Jesus so he says be be careful watch out uh, and avoid them uh, and which it's interesting because the people that generally have this uh, inclination uh, they get real popular real quick um, sometimes because because this type of idea sells online, it sells books, it it draws attention because they, they're coming up with this, well I've got this new idea or this, this new revelation or this new truth that you need to be aware of and all the other Christians for 2,000 years, like they missed it but here's the one little piece that you need to know right? That kind of stuff sells books and it causes people to be uh, interested and uh, I'll tell you this, that new truth, y'all ready for this? New truth is also called old heresy, right? If if it's new, it is not correct because the gospel that Paul preached is the same gospel you have in your Bible. It's the same gospel that we love and that we believe. So if it's brand new, guess what Paul would say? Not a good idea. Run from it. New truth is old heresy. So he says, beware, watch out for those who cause division, number one, and number two, for those who create obstacles. Who really create obstacles uh, for people that are wanting maybe to become Christians or come to Christ, and they're putting some uh, red tape in front of them or some hurdles here and there, or some uh, obstacles and some things that they feel like you need to jump over if you're going to be a Christian. Uh, and Paul says, that's a really dangerous thing. Uh, I had a few moments uh, of free time a couple days ago uh, during this, the, the day. It was a, a long day, but I had a little bit of uh, time after lunch meeting, so I thought, I'll just, uh, I'll just slip home and say hi to Hannah and the kids. Uh, so I drive. Home and I get home and I open the door uh, and my daughter Paisley had had these uh, streamers, uh, yellow and green, those paper streamers, and uh, she had uh, created what she called a laser minefield. Uh, where I opened the door and I like they were crossing all over the place uh, and it was like a, a, a moment from the Matrix that I had to get on my hands and knees and and I, I don't I don't do yoga I'm not used to this kind of thing and just kind of navigate my way through and it took me like ten minutes. just to get back to the bedroom to say hi to Hannah. It's like, well, gosh, I didn't know that I would waste all my time navigating these obstacles that Paisley put in my way. Uh, Paul would say some people are like that. Like, you show up, you're like, I don't know, my life is is a mess. I feel like I need something. I feel like maybe maybe Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe he is the answer. Uh, And then God forbid that you meet a Christian that would put a barrier or an obstacle in your way um, that would keep you from coming to Christ. And so Paul says those type of people, you need to watch out for them if they say, well, you need to be uh, circumcised, you need to uh, act better, you need to change your life, you need to To do this, you need to do that. In fact, in in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 15, many of you all remember this story. A a lot of uh, non-Jews, Gentiles were believing the gospel and coming to faith in Christ, and they had this big meeting. We call it the Jerusalem Council. All the church leaders met, and they said after uh, some deliberation and prayer, uh, they said this in Acts 15, 19, It is my judgment, the leader said, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So we, we want to be a church that like tries to clear the path so that you just have a straight shot to Jesus. Nothing in your way. Maybe you've been around for this uh, journey through the book of Romans, like, I want to come to Jesus. And this is a very common thing um, that I hear. Um, But you think, I've got to do this, or I've got to stop this, or I've got to start this, or I need to go here, or I need to go there. You just simply don't. There's nothing between you and Jesus. What you need is very simply Jesus, right? Uh, Repentance and faith in Christ, he saves by grace through faith. I I want you to, to know and to feel that we want to be church that removes everything that's non-biblical as a hurdle or an obstacle to the gospel of Jesus. Because Paul says, be careful of the people that want to add uh, a few hurdles and a few things of their own. Uh, Watch out for them, he says, and avoid them. And typically with these types of people, uh, if you don't feed them their desire to cause division, their desire to cause obstacles, and you don't give them an audience, uh, they will typically quieten down and maybe move on. So that's Paul's warning. He's closing his book. He loves this church in Rome. He wants them to fully engage the mission that Jesus has given them. So that warning is to watch out and to avoid them. And then in verse 20, he gives a promise from God. Verse 20 says this. This is a promise. This is something that that will happen. Not might happen, not should happen. Paul says it will happen. The God of what? Let's try it one more time. The God of peace. Paul, Paul, he uses that descriptor just simply applied to God. He's just a God of peace. He loves peace. He loves shalom. He's the author of peace. You've heard multiple times throughout this last year and a half about shalom, that that's the word that, expressed God's design and his intent when he created all things, that he wanted all things to be marked by wholeness, peace, shalom. Shalom between people and God, shalom between people and people, shalom even between people and and creation and the earth itself. He says, God is the God of peace. The God of peace will soon what? All right. Um, Okay, it is on the screen. (laughs) What I need your help in is when I kind of give you a what, just all of you chime in with all of your heart like this is Father's Day and it's the last uh, sermon in the series of Romans um, so that you can help me out a little bit. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Paul said that. He said the God of peace will soon crush Satan under what? Whose feet? Your feet. Your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How many of you thought, what is a God of peace doing crushing stuff? That doesn't sound right. You can't be a God of peace and crush something. Actually, uh, you can't be uh, a God of peace and not crush something if there's an enemy of peace. Right? Why did we have so much peace uh, on planet Earth uh, relative to what had been seen um, in, in the late 1930s? Why, why did more peace happen after 1945? Because um, the world was willing to uh, encounter Hitler and his Axis powers and willing to crush the enemies of peace. Unless someone is willing to fight against the enemies of peace, they, they, they really are not able to usher in peace. So these things are in no way uh, contradictory to each other for Father's Day, you know if there's going to be uh, uh, safety and love and peace in in your family and in your home, then you are going to have to stand guard against those who want to damage and harm your family and your kids um, because peace does not equal passivity. Amen? God is not a passive God. He is a God of peace. Satan is the attacker of peace, the destroyer of peace. What he wants to do is uh, do everything in his power to destroy peace. So, unless God was willing to crush Satan once and for all, he's not truly God of peace. And Paul says, may the God of peace soon crush Satan, which if you're new to the Bible, that is a very clear shout out uh, to the first promise of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 15. It says, someone will come that will crush the head of, uh, of Satan, and Paul's saying, that's, that's, that's Jesus. Uh, he is the warrior for the God of peace. And listen, like some of you may be like, I don't know, you know, if, if, maybe you feel like um, the Bible is um, allegorical when it talks about Satan. Uh, it's, it's not. Uh, he, there is a being that has incredible malintent and power on planet Earth. Right. There, there are some things that cannot be explained. We've seen them recently. They, they can't be explained. That they're so evil. They are so wicked. They do so much damage that it's not, you can't just chalk it up to somebody that made a bad decision, right? It, it can only be chalked up to there are some evil forces at work on planet Earth. And so the Bible teaches that there is a very powerful being named Satan, and he has a a plan to steal, to kill, to destroy, to try and crush God's plan for peace. They are constantly at war with one another. And you need to know this, there will come a day, this is a promise from God, that God will crush Satan. And I think it is so incredibly profound that he says that here, part of his plan is that he's going to do it under your feet, that's him that's him declaring something to, to Christians to followers of Jesus, to the church of Jesus in the world, that the, the the work of the gospel through the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians is in part, not in total, but in part, how God is destroying the works of Satan and putting an end, to. and he's ta- his, this kingdom is expanding. The kingdom of God is taking over. I want you to listen to uh, a quote from Pastor Tim Keller. I thought it would be only fair that I quote him in this last sermon because I've, uh, I've leaned so heavily on him in my studies the last year and a half, uh, some things that he's written over the years from Romans. So this is what Pastor Keller says, uh, particularly about verse 20. He says, God said to the serpent that a man would be born who will crush your head, Genesis 3.15. Jesus, Keller says, is the serpent crusher at the cross and on his return, but his people, that's us, are part of the victory Satan suffers defeat each time someone puts their faith in Christ. Each time someone receives his righteousness and escapes hell. Each time a Christian obeys their father. What an incri- Listen, you, you, your earthly fathers, you know this. Like if you could ask for one thing from your kids on this Father's Day, maybe it would be this, that they would uh, obey their father joyfully. All the fathers in the room said, it's like, what do you want for Father's Day? <laughs> I just want a nap. I just want a, and I just want lunch maybe with a little bit of dessert. And I just want my kids to not even just obey me, to, to trust me and love me and trust my intentions enough to obey me joyfully. So if you have a father in the room or, or, or anywhere close, uh, let that be your gift to them, uh, to obey your father joyfully. But for all Christians in the room, uh, he's saying like, like every time we trust God's intentions enough that even when you don't uh, agree with God, and you don't understand necessarily why he has commanded or forbid what he has commanded and forbade, Uh, maybe you don't understand it. Trust him enough to know that he knows what he's doing, that he knows more than you and I, and that he wants your good. He wants you to flourish. So, your gift to God this Father's Day is to trust the Father and to obey him joyfully and Keller is saying, like every time we do that, uh, the the kingdom of Satan, it, 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 it's it's we're 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 pushing against it, and we're showing him um, that God is who he says he is. He says every time a Christian obeys their father joyfully, and each time God's people worship together in faith and unity, it is such a profound thing that Paul says, the God of peace, who loves peace, who authored peace, who will not stop until he finalize this piece, will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a promise from God. Then we get to a few final greetings. If you were here last week, we walked through 26 different individual names that Paul mentions. Um, Those would have been people last week Uh, the first half of uh, Romans 16 that were in Rome, that Paul sends greeting to them. Uh, And then this uh, much shorter list are people that are with Paul, uh, probably in Corinth where he's writing this letter Uh, and then Paul says greetings, not to those of you who are in Rome, but from those of us who are here. So, I want to walk through these uh, few final greetings um, that Paul sends to the church. Verse 21, he says, Timothy. My fellow worker greets you. Many of y'all are well known to uh, you. Know you know Timothy well. There are two books of the Bible um, that bear his name: First and Second Timothy. Uh, those are letters from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Uh, he was a, uh, uh, a Christian. His mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. But he heard the gospel of Jesus and he responded to it. Became a Christian. Followed Paul. Uh, was somewhat of Paul's protege, uh, who would learn from him and would eventually, uh, after Paul dies and moves on. Uh, Timothy would have the baton, and he would be faithful in his life uh, to love Jesus, to preach the gospel, and to give his life for local churches. And Paul says, Timothy is with us. He says, Hi. He says, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman." Uh, so Lucius, uh, we don't really know anything about him, who he was, but we know that he said hi. Right? He said hi, whoever he was. Probably the Romans uh, knew who he was or else Paul wouldn't include him. And then you've got probably just an incredibly uh, awesome, gifted, godly man named Jason. Everybody say Jason. Jason. <laughs> I just, I had to. I didn't plan this on Father's Day. If you're new, um, you'll pick up on this later on. Uh, he was actually, and if you're here, he's like, listen, the, the reason I came to church today was because it's Father's Day. We're expecting, and I'm looking for a good name for my son. Oh. patter. That's it. I'm just kidding. We uh, actually know a fair bit about Jason. Uh, he was a host in Thessalonica uh, for Paul when he was there, and he actually endured some uh, incredible um, uh, resistance and persecution uh, on, on not just on the on, on the behalf of Jesus, on behalf of Jesus, but uh, to protect Paul and his ministry. Uh, so Paul says, "Listen, Jason says hi. Uh, Sosipater uh, might be, not for sure, but he could be the one uh, that was taking up a collection. Uh, we've talked about this. They were taking." making up a collection to send back to Jerusalem because there was a lot of poverty and a lot of financial need, uh, and so there's a really good chance that Sosipater was the one uh, who would take that collection, that money from the churches around Rome, deliver it back on behalf of Jesus and his followers to the needy there in Jerusalem, not sure, but whoever he was, he sends his greetings and he says, hi, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter greet you in the Lord. Some of you may think, I thought Paul wrote this letter. Um, Paul, like most of his letters, not all of them dictated this letter. Uh, he dictated it to a scribe, and the scribe uh, probably had very good handwriting uh, and uh, followed all of the, the rules of the scribes to make sure he got it exactly, not, not just exactly as Paul said it, but truly exactly as the Holy Spirit said it through Paul. I think it's so interesting that uh, he got to throw his name in. He got to just pause after being the the scribe for Paul and to just throw in a little sense, oh, and by the way, I say hi as well. If you read through Romans 16, what you're going to see is that God uses all sorts of different kinds of people with different kinds of giftings. Even this guy, like maybe you're like, you know, I don't bring anything to the table, I don't feel like I have any spiritual gifts, but I've got really good handwriting. Can God use me? The answer is yes. I, I just think it's interesting that he throws his name in and it says, I, Tertius, I want to greet you uh, in the Lord as well. Verse uh, 23. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. This is back, not Tertius, not but this is back to Paul saying, uh, the one who is hosting me here in uh, Thessalonica, Gaius, uh, he greets you as well. Uh, this is probably someone who was very wealthy, had a very big house, because Paul says he was a host to Paul. So Paul was probably living with him, but also um, that potentially an entire house church uh, was meeting there in this guy's house. He says that he was a host to me and to the whole church. If you are also a student of chapter 16, you're going to find out again, and we've talked about this so many times over the years, how important gospel hospitality is to the movement of the gospel. Behind the scenes of all these like, people that we're well aware of and we know their names is somebody who was just simply willing, up, willing to open up their house. And we've, we've talked a lot about the difference between gospel hospitality and what? And Southern hospitality, uh, they are different. Southern hospitality is kind of about uh, protecting our stuff and we can't have our things broken and it's everything has to be nice and our visitors need to come in and know that we've got everything together. Uh, Gospel hospitality is not that way. It's using your wealth and maybe a, a house that the Lord has given you for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes things get broken and sometimes the carpet gets dirty, although I don't think that they had carpet. But Gaius... The very little we know about him is that he was incredibly hospitable uh, to allow God to use his house for the church to meet there and for Paul to meet there. And Paul says that he says, hello, Uh, halfway through verse 23, he says, Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greets you. Uh, Erastus was uh, apparently on staff with the city of Thessalonica. And I don't know what the city treasurer would have done, um, but Paul includes it because it must have been some type of position of honor. Uh, and uh, it's unbelievable that you've got all sorts of different people from, uh, from former slaves to incredibly wealthy to political leaders uh, in the city that the, that the gospel was changing them all. The gospel was not just infiltrating one small portion of society. Even the government leaders, some of them were following Jesus. That's a few final greetings from Paul. And Cordus, our brother, we don't know much about him other than he loved Jesus and he was a, a brother in Christ as well. And then we've got what I call a sentence that echoes for eternity. Uh, I have taught, uh, and many of you all know this, an adjunct class uh, online uh, for the last few years since we've been in Midland and before that in person uh, at Dallas Baptist University for about the past... Seventeen years or so, uh, and Paul has something in common with uh, many, many of my students over the years: is that he is just well known for run-on sentences. Uh, he just like he, he Paul is known for a sentence that he just can't get to the end of it. He's got so much that he wants to get in there, so he keeps just getting comma and comma. And So this last thing that I have for you. This is, this is the last hurrah from Paul. This is the last sentence in the most important letter in human history. We call it oftentimes, in fact, in your Bible, the title of this uh, is probably a doxology, uh, which literally means a doxology is uh, it's a form of praise to God that is written in such a way that it's designed to be memorized and probably even sung. So I've encouraged you a few times over the last 18 months to find some places in Romans and to memorize them. Uh, and if you are looking for uh, something to memorize, uh, may I highly recommend to you this last sentence that we're going to read. It's incredibly all-inclusive about uh, trying to, to to cram Christianity into one sentence. And there's something very powerful and profound about memorizing something because the purpose is not just to memorize it, but when you memorize something, you're somewhat forced to meditate on it and to think about it over and over and over, and then you have constant access to it in your mind and your heart. So, if you're looking for something to memorize, might I recommend this last sentence. It's a sentence that echoes for eternity. If this, – this didn't happen – if Wikipedia would have called the apostle Paul. Says, hey Paul, you're kind of the spokesperson for Christianity. We want you to write an 80-word description sentence that just really describes the essence of Christianity, what it means, like what Christianity is. This is it. There's a few times where Paul really succinctly sums up Christianity, but um, maybe perhaps none as well as this. So, the last sentence in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 25, here it is, the climax of Paul's uh, work, the exclamation point on the greatest letter ever written. Paul says this, now, to him, focus his attention, not to the church or to greet them or to say hi from them, but just back to God. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, Amen. That is one of the most incredible, important sentences that has ever been penned to the human race. I'm going to p- pick it apart. I've got about three minutes, and I've got ten points here for my last little subpoint. So you thought there's four points. Uh, there's not because number four has ten. Let's go through it real quickly. Uh, this says, God is able to strengthen you. The word that Paul uses there is sterizo. Does that sound familiar? steroids. That's what he's saying, that God is able to give you functionally spiritual steroids to strengthen you. Uh, uh, he says, God is able to strengthen you. How many of you need some strength? You need, if you're going to be faithful to Jesus for the long haul, you're going to need some strength. If you're going to endure uh, suffering, difficulty, persecution, discouragement, you're going to need some strength. For your dad's in the room, if you're going to be a faithful father... What a weighty title for God the Father to share with us. Listen, if you are going to be a faithful father, grandfather, to leave a legacy of Christ, you're going to need some strength. And I know this about men. Okay, this is just a little side note on this Father's Day. That men were designed by God to get strength from God the Father that we draw our strength from God the Father and 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 men that do not draw their strength from God the Father will try to draw it from other places normally from their wives or their family which turns into an abusive situation trying to go to your wife to uh, to draw some type of power or trying to go to your children to try to dr- feel important or feel powerful um, that is uh, is truly the recipe for disaster and for abuse um, but a man that pulls his strength from God the Father then does not come to his family to to get strength, but to give it. So on this Father's Day, may you be strengthened by God the Father, whether you're a father, mother, child, grandchild, grandparent. He says that God is able to strengthen you. Maybe you feel in your soul that you're faint, that you're weak, that you're tempted to lose faith, to lose hope. Paul promises that God is able to strengthen you. Number two, how is that strength delivered? And he says through the gospel. Through the good news that Jesus said, it is finished. Everybody say it is finished, that's really important. It is finished. I'm quoting Jesus. Jesus said it on the cross that the work was done, that he had fully pleased God. He had uh, fully fulfilled the law once and for all, he had conquered Satan, sin, and death once and for all for us so that he might give God's strength to us through the gospel. God's strength is delivered through the gospel. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. The gospel proves and supplies the strength of God. Number three it says that the gospel is mainly about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you miss the gospel. He, he, he is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. And Paul says, see, I, God is able to strengthen you. How? Through the gospel. And what is that? Uh, the, the preaching of Jesus Christ. To explain who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that is the epicenter of the gospel. That's who He is, what He's done. That's the good news that supplies God's strength. Number four is Jesus is the the, the revealed mystery of the ages, that we had some mystery in Genesis chapter 3. Oh, somebody's going to come, and they're going to crush the head of Satan. Still kind of mysterious, not sure sure who that is. All the way through the Old Testament, you have this building up of this mystery that God's going to do something. It's very vague in Genesis 3. Somebody's going to crush the head of Satan. And it gets progressively throughout the Old Testament more and more detail until you get the closing words of the Old Testament that says, here's a little hint. It's going to be a virgin born in Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden the, the pool of contestants got real small real quick. But it's still somewhat of a mystery. And then Paul says, listen, the mystery is unveiled, the the, the mystery is revealed, it is Jesus. He's the mystery that has been hidden for ages. And then he says that this mystery is revealed through what? Through the Bible, uh, through the Scriptures, through what Paul says are the prophetic writings. The Bible is different than every other book on the planet. No other book can stand up close to this one uh, in its historical accuracy, that it has been proven through prophecy for centuries and centuries, that this is not just a book written by the pen of man. It was written by the hand of God. I've looked. I spent quite a bit of time years ago looking at 26 different books that all claimed that they were uh, the Word of God. And there is only one that can actually stand up to the scrutiny that God wrote a book. And Paul says this book explains and unfolds Jesus, who is the gospel, who is the strength of God. It's about the Scriptures. And then number six, he says that Jesus is being made known to All nations, all people, every socioeconomic status that there is, every color of skin on the planet, Jesus is a Savior for them all. He is going to get to all nations, and Paul talks about that, that he's going to all nations. Number seven, he says that God is keeping his word just as God commanded. He said, according to the command of the eternal God. You need to know this, and you need to believe this. Everything on the planet obeys the command of God. If God says something, it will happen. It is, if, if it is set by God in his word, then it's just a matter of time until he fulfills it. Uh, Paul believed that. He says, this is all just happening because God said so according to the eternal command of God. And then he says the gospel number eight brings about uh, obedience. He says, the result is the obedience of faith. You need to know that obedience is not the prerequisite uh, to salvation. It's the result of that when you come to Christ broken, disobedient, sinful, messed up, just like all of us do. We remove the barriers, so there's nothing between. You've got a straight shot to Jesus. You confess your sin to Him. You put your faith in Him as Savior, and then He brings about obedience in your life. Obedience is the result of following Jesus, not the cause. It's incredibly important, the timing. Number nine, he says that the, actually the goal of all things, all of this, he's leading up to this crescendo that it is all for the glory of God. That's why everything on the planet exists. That's why you exist. That's why you have breath in your lungs is to bring glory to God. Glory means weight uh, for everyone to understand and to respond to the weightiness of God. That's what everything is all about, and you may think, well, I I, I understand that, but it's a a difficult concept to grasp. How do I do that? How do I glorify God? If He's the most weighty being in all of creation, and, and I understand that He is glorious, how do I, as a verb, glorify Him? Paul says this, the goal of all things is the glory of God, and the way primarily that God is glorified is through Jesus Christ. The only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. The point of all things absolutely Everything in the cosmos is to glorify God through Jesus Christ the Son. And I want to let Paul have the closing words uh, from a different letter that he wrote. This is Colossians uh, chapter 1. I thought this was such a succinct description of our desire to glorify God through Jesus Christ. Paul says this, and we're done. He says, he, talking about Jesus, he is the image of of the invisible God, you're like, I've never seen God. You know about Jesus. If if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know how Jesus responds, you know how God responds. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created. It doesn't just say that God created all things. Jesus created all things. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Why did God create all things? for him, so that all things might feel the glory and the weight of God through Christ, honor and glorify him. That's why all of this exists. It was created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Christ, all things hold together. In Christ, marriages hold together. In Christ, your soul stays intact and holds together. Uh, In Christ, families, in Christ, all things hold together. Jesus was before all things. Genesis chapter 1 says God created the heaven and the earth, and the apostle John, in his book chapter 1, he says that the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God. All things were created through him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. So of all of the things we learned in Romans, this is what we need to take away. Our lives hold together and make sense when we glorify God through Jesus Christ. Let's bow and pray together. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We need you thank you what an incredible way for us to celebrate a father's day is to look at god in the flesh jesus that you have come to display the heart of the father to your people so i pray that you might uh, move us to see your glory to respond to it in worship father i pray that you might give someone uh, even in this room today through the testimony of baptism through the reading of your word through the gathered church uh, just a, a picture of the gospel that they might even respond by repentance and faith this morning. God, I pray that your word would chisel us and shape us and carve us and mold us into the image of Christ. We love you, I pray in these next few moments that you're honored by the position of our hearts and by the words of our mouths. We love you, we love you, we love you. We thank you for Romans and all of God's people said amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.